Thanks for everyone being here this morning. All right, Ephesians 6, verse 10 says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one or wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us all. Thank you that you give us your full armor that we can stand in our relationship with you, that we could stand in our relationship with one another in the good sense of the word, and that you are so into us not falling and just biting the dust. And uh, you're so gracious when we do fall to pick us up. So help us get closer to you today and learn what you would have for us in the full armor. Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. So we are going to do a quick overview of the full armor of God. A few months ago, Chris did it for the men in a burrito breakfast Bible study. And so the full armor of God, wearing, being armored up, dressed for success, wearing the full armor of God, it, this whole study is something you could actually take, you know, a few weeks and go through each piece of the armor, and each piece would be an individual study by itself. But we're going to do the quick overview of each piece, and hopefully we'll just get an appetite and maybe more of a desire to not blow it off and wear it, you know, to take advantage of what God has for us when he's saying, come on, man, this will help you stand. You will stand strong. So in verse 10, it says, finally, uh, it says, uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. One thing that is really unique about our relationship with God, he wants us to be strong in him and not ourselves. And it's common all the time for all of us to encourage one another, or you're, you'll see people who aren't Christian or even who are Christian, give actually an encouraging word. Come on, be strong. You can do it. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But somewhere in there, for us, it's you can be strong because the Lord's with you, because he'll strengthen you. Ultimately, what I'm saying when I say be strong is I'm saying be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. So going on, it says be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then it says, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And one of the reasons why we're encouraged to put on the full armor of God is he says there's a devil. And kind of in 2 Thessalonians, Chris has been talking a lot 
through those scriptures about a spiritual battle, about the wicked one, about ultimately the Antichrist, all this kind of bigger picture stuff that goes on behind the scenes in this world where there's God, there's a devil, and the devil's out to take people out, and one day God is going to come and take him out. And we've kind of been touching that over the last few weeks on and off, but individually, Paul here wants us to know that for our lives, there's a devil, and it says the wiles of the devil. He's got schemes, plans, tricks up his sleeve to trip us up to fall. And you know what? When he wants to trip us up to fall, it's to trip us up to fall and then kick us while we're down and take us out, destroy us. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking who he might kill, devour, and destroy. What's really sweet about this full armor of God is it's at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, but all through chapters 1 through 3, Paul encourages them about they're saved, they're in the Lord, they're forgiven, they're blessed with every spiritual blessing. He builds them up on who they are being in relationship with God, with their Father in heaven, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul in Ephesians like 4 and 5 he gets into real life. So think about the full armor. Do you need it? Well, if you need it, what God is saying you need it and I need it for is real life. And in 4 and 5, he gets into detail about how husbands and wives need to submit to one another, love one another, wash each other in the word, uh, children obeying parents, bosses being cool to employees, not crazy taskmasters, Masters, people who are employees getting along with their bosses, even when their boss is kind of being a tyrant. Sometimes when the weight is on your shoulders, it's not so easy to be calm and cool. But four and five, he talks about all the relationships that we deal with. And then he comes into chapter six and says, the way you're going to be strong is in the Lord. And the way you're going to have these relationships work out is when you realize you got to quit fighting with each other. Your battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, roars of darkness, spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, you know, when he says you got to stop fighting each other and battling each other, realize there's someone behind the scenes who's stirring up everything. He actually gives us a solution to stop fighting, to deal with it, and it's the full armor of God. So, there's just a little intro overview. So, what is amazing is for our relationships, for real life, for the battles of life with people, let alone the devil himself, couldn't we all use some good old-fashioned truth. We know what's up and down. We know what's right. We, we got a clue as to what is the truth would be the best thing for the situation. Couldn't we all use, like, doing the right thing, treating each other the right way? Couldn't we all use, a lot, like, a whole lot of peace, a lot more peace and a lot less war, a lot more peace, a lot less strife? Couldn't we all use uh, a lot more Faith and believing as opposed to fear and doubt and just 
being overwhelmed and discouraged and depressed? Couldn't we all use the confidence of knowing it's going to be okay, even if it gets worse? In the end, it's going to be okay. By chance, there's actually a lot of things. Well, it'll actually work out right now. And the things that don't, it's not the end of the story. In the end of the story, it's going to be good. And couldn't we all use a little more of speaking to one another in a really cool way? You know, kind of just like loving on each other instead of ripping each other or poking each other or antagonizing each other. These are all the things that, you know, make relationships better. And even behind the scenes where we're, we could, we're, we're wanting the best for people, praying for them. That's the full armor overview each piece. It's real. It's good. Uh, in the Bible, there's a, I like in Romans where Paul refers to the armor of God. There he says, it's put on the armor of light. So when you think of the armor of God, it's also referred to as the armor of light. And in Romans, he says, put on the breastplate of love and faith. And we're going to look at some different things of the armor this morning, but you need to know it's light and it's love. God's armor is full of light and full of love. And actually, faith, hope, and love, as Chris has been talking about a lot lately, without love, it's nothing. In fact, it's just going to get rusty and you're going to trip over your own armor. So going on, it says, it says, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God. I believe that's verse 12. I'm guessing because I can't see the number. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The first piece of the armor when someone's getting ready is the Roman soldiers. Paul's in prison. He's around Roman soldiers. And most believe his picture of the armor had to do with seeing Roman soldiers all the time being all geared up and armored up. And the first piece of the armor that soldiers would use, and even the people of the day, when they weren't putting on armor but they were getting ready for some hardcore activity, is they would put on a belt. And the belt is something they would wear tunics, which were more longer robes, and they'd pull up their robes a little bit, and they would tuck them all in around the belt. And basically, they would go from cruise dress to ready dress to get moving and get ready for action, whatever was at hand. In this case, war, a Roman soldier. They would, their belt was unique because it held everything together. Before they put on any other thing, they were not going to be tripping over their own clothes. And so it says this, it says, so by the way, uh, thinking about how do you put on the full armor? For me personally, a few, pretty consistently, I, I like putting on the armor of God, okay? So when I pray, I'll literally kind of go through it and I'll just go, Lord, today I need your truth, I need your righteousness, I need your peace, I need uh, faith, I need salvation, I need your words instead of my words, the sword of the spirit. You know, I'd like to be praying today, Lord, thank you. Lord, you offer this to me in you, and I want it. How long did that take? Ten seconds. So what we're doing this morning is what's really cool is 
is when you, on each topic, like this is the belt of truth, you have all these verses in your head. You want to say all? Maybe it's just one or two. You heard a verse on truth, and you really like it. That's your, that's your verse for your armor. You think about it. Truth. My one that I go to all the time, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. When I put on the belt of truth, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by you. You are the truth. And recently, I kind of tag in there, Lord, as far as truth and error, you're the way, the truth, and life. I'm tired of my way. My way is not working out. And where my way is working out, a lot of times if my way is working out, it's actually causing me to miss out on what God has. It's not always that it falls apart. Devils talk about the wiles of the devil, schemes of the devil. He'll get us sidetracked in all kinds of good stuff, but it's not God's stuff. And so for me, that's my go-to. First one, Jesus you're the truth, you're the way, you're the life. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. I want your way, your truth, and your life. And the reason I have to pray it like that is because I often do the opposite. I'm kind of crying out like, deliver me from myself. And so when we go through this with the armor, and we're going to kind of have to pick it up in some of these and make it shorter, something that's really good to do if you're going to learn any verses Learn a verse about Jesus. He's the armor. A lot of the studies, you'll get right into the practical. How do you walk in truth? How do you walk in peace? How do you, all the, de- the practical this way, and that's all good, but do you know the way you walk in peace, walk in truth, walk in righteousness? You got to be in relationship with the, right, with the righteous one, with the prince of peace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as we go through this, you'll see a pattern where we're looking at Jesus first, then who we are in him, and then the practical, what we can, how we can live that out, and then some things we maybe need to be careful of. And if we look at the things we need to be careful of, which would be the opposite of it, it kind of makes us think like, whoa, I don't want to go down that road, and we run back to him. So, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 32 says this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Thank you, Jesus. I'm putting on the belt of truth. You're the truth. I need you. I want to be free, so help me to learn your truth, walk in your truth, so that I won't be in bondage and a slave to sin, that I'll be free. And then, thank you, Jesus, John 17, 17, Jesus actually said this. He said, Father, he was praying. He said, Father, I pray for them. He was talking about all the believers. He says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify means set apart, kind of renew, restore, get things cleaned up, do a renewing, restorative work. So all I say, Lord, your word is truth. And you want to restore me. Lord, restore me. That, I'm just kind of scratching the surface of putting on the belt. You can go down any number of verses that would be special to you on truth and do the same thing. 
So going on, he, sa oh, he says this, though. In John 4, 6, this is John. It says that there's a spirit of truth and there's a spirit, spirit of error. In Romans 1, it actually says, talking about people having ungodly relationships, it says that men, and then it actually says in women, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creation. It was talking about immoral relationships. And you know what they did? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. In John, it says there's a spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Spirit of error is people teach a bunch of stuff that's just not true. It's error. And so when we're putting on the belt of truth. We're saying, Lord, help me not to exchange your truth for something that is just not true. Even if I make it up or someone else makes it up, I don't want to be saying it's no big deal when you say it is. Uh, so that's, that's the caution. And then it says this in John. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Lord, help me walk in truth. Help those I love walk in truth. We're going to pick it up. Going on, it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So it's like, Lord, I, I, I want the breastplate of righteousness. The, righteous, the breastplate guarded all the vital organs, hearts, lung, everything. The breastplate was a full-on protective piece of gear. It was so necessary to survive the battles. And so for us, the opposite of, it says the breastplate we're supposed to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. And when it's righteousness, everything with the Lord is actually a relationship first. Being righteous means being in a right relationship with God. It's like, Lord, I want to be in a right relationship with you. I want to be righteous. And I've said this often, you've heard it. Lord, you know, the opposite of being righteous and being right with you is being unrighteous, whatever that entails, or being self-righteous. I'm doing really good, and it's all about me and how good I'm doing, and you just got pushed out of the picture. Um, and so in Jeremiah, it says, now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, you are the Lord, our righteousness. You're my righteousness. I, it's you, Lord. And then it says this. I always kind of think of this. It says in Corinthians, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, some versions say to be a sin offering for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. You are the Lord, our righteousness, and you actually, who were perfect, had no judgment coming. You went to the cross. You died. You took what I deserve, the penalty, so I could be made righteous. And you offered me a gift of righteousness. And it says this in Philippians 3.9. It says, And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is by faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith... And what's really, I actually like the word, it's cool about this, is he's saying our righteousness isn't by our good deeds, by the law. 
It's in him. It's by faith in him. And I have to slow down and get off my works trip all the time and go, thank you, Lord. You know what? I'm right with you because of what you did on the cross. You shed your blood. You died on the cross for me. And that is sufficient. Thank you for your righteousness, which is a gift. And so going on, it says this. In Galatians, it says, Paul's encouraging them because they're exactly doing the exact opposite of that and going back to good deeds and works and about how good they can be. And he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And when it says if righteousness comes through the law, it's saying if getting right with God and being righteous comes through your performance and your good deeds, if you can get right with God by all that, and some of us are better at all that than others. We, I don't know, you know, keep our lives together pretty good. And that's great. Praise God. But he says if you could get right with God by all your good deeds, keeping the law, Christ died in vain, which literally means you, you or me would be looking at Jesus if he was on the cross, which he's not, and saying, you didn't need to do that. You, why did you die on the cross? I, I didn't need that. I, I, got, I can get it all, I can make up for my bad with my good, on and on and on. Or a more accurate picture for us would be, since Jesus is alive and he rose from the grave and he even went to Thomas and said, check out my hands, check out the scar on my side. Jesus is alive. It's like he's standing right next to you, showing you his scars and you'd be going, well, you didn't need to do that for me, you know. I, I could have got right on my own. So that's a caution to not do it and enjoy the righteousness of God. It says this, uh, kind of a practical one to be careful of. In James, it says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I love that verse because I had heard many times where we're encouraged, the pastors encourage people to put their name in there. The wrath of Billy does not produce the righteousness of God. And you know what is actually admirable? Is when you start seeing the blessing of being right with God through his grace. But you start seeing the life that comes by not living unrighteous. How short-lived and shallow the glory is of self-righteousness. It's like cotton candy. Okay, woohoo, I got I was all that for a minute. You know, it, it's empty. And you start going, wow, it's so good just doing what God wants. Being righteous. The right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right attitude. Lord, that is so good. And what happens is we can actually want that for those around us. But what happens is we want the righteousness of God in them but we get angry. The wrath of man does not produce the righteous. My anger, my frustration, my stress, my overdoing it, overamping is not going to produce the righteousness of God in them. And I'm not saying you don't give a nudge, a swift kick in the backside occasionally if you're a parent or even a good friend. But the anger and the wrath of Billy will not produce the righteousness of God. And if it does... It won't last in them because they were just driven to it. So 
the psalmist shepherd, Psalm 23, or is it 24? I love it because he says he leads me in paths of righteousness. Lord, thank you for your righteousness. Help me to live it out. Lead me in paths of righteousness. It's so good. I want to be led in your paths of righteousness. Going on, it says this. Woohoo, going to have to speed it up. Uh, the next one is the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the preparation of the gospel of peace, having to feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, is basically, some versions say, putting on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers, they wore these sandals that were thick, had spikes, they had a lot of leather, even though they were open-aired, there was a lot of leather there to protect them, and the leather kind of wrapped up their ankles, their lower calf, so they could get them really secure. And when they would put on, shod their feet with the preparate, they were preparing for battle. They didn't want to trip. They wanted to be able to handle any terrain that came their, came their way. And so these were incredible sandals. But for us, he says, the way to put on your shoes so you're ready for action is you're actually putting on the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so I love this because in speaking of Jesus being the shoes of peace, it says in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Sounds kind of weird until you see bad government. You're like, okay, government's going to be on your shoulders? Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm like always go to. I, that's, I go, Lord, thank you. I'm putting on the shoes of peace. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the Lord, my righteousness. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Kind of, kind of keep it going in a circle. Keep it repetitive. We need it. But so it says this in Isaiah 26 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Thank you, Jesus. You're the Prince of Peace. But I. <laughs> I don't got a peace in my heart right now. I got a lot going on in my heart, but it ain't peace. So help me fix my mind on you that I could be kept in perfect peace. I desire that, Lord. And uh, in Hebrews it says, therefore laying aside every weight, that's all the things of life, and sin, uh, the things that would so easily ensnare us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It says this, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. A lot of these pieces of armor all come back to the cross. It all, well, how do, we, how, how do we get in relationship with the Prince of Peace? How does he fill us with this peace? What did it take for him to let us enjoy that peace? He was wounded for our transgressions. The punishment we deserve was put upon him on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Going on, it says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just set on it like, no, I'm not going to be at peace at you when I have a good devotion and a good first half of the day and the day goes well. Right now, right here, I can settle it. I'm justified just as if I never sinned by faith. Faith in what you did on the cross Help me to receive your peace now and go forward with your peace. It's a, it's a, that's putting on the full armor of God. And in Philippians, it says uh, there's the peace that passes all understanding. How do we get it? Prayer. By the way, how do you put on all this armor? 
prayer. Even though at the end it said praying with all prayer for all the saints, it's unique because actually we're praying as we're putting it on. And then actually as we put it on and filter through all this stuff, when I say filter through it all, we're just kind of getting right with God. You know the thing, emotions, mind, attitudes, the good things, the bad things, good things given in praise and glory instead of getting self-righteous about it, the bad things, receiving his forgiveness, enjoying that washing and that cleansing. It's really cool. Uh, so it says this uh, as a caution. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's in Romans. Carnally minded means we're just doing what we want according to our flesh, our bodily desires. It even includes our mental desires, our emotional desires. It's all about where we are just on a roll to do what we want to do to please us. And it's clear the Bible says that brings death. Death to your relationship with God, which he'll never leave you or forsake you, but the intimacy Death to relationships with people, they get tired of us being selfish. But it says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. Do this your way and enjoy the peace. Uh, it says this in Romans. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And that's where it gets you know, practic practical. Okay, Lord, all this peace stuff is really nice. But <laughs> I got to make breakfast. I got to go get someone to school. I got to go to work. And some people aren't peaceable. And I want to do what I can to be peaceable with them. And some of those people include me. I'm not peaceable. Help, you know, help me be more peaceable, Lord. Just help me, Lord. You know what's so cool about saying help me and we get victors and we get failures? He loves us when our performance doesn't measure up. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up. Our relationship with the Lord is one about getting up and going forward in his grace and his mercy. And we can get up and go forward because there's grace and mercy and love from him. Classic one, Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Lord, I want peace and tranquility, even with the Things in nature, the beach, the ocean, the mountains, the deserts. I want peace with people. I want good times. It's all good, but we kind of go, Lord, but I know sometimes we get that, sometimes we don't. So thank you for your peace you give me, not as the world gives. I've got that peace, and no one can take it from me. Uh, it's the gospel of peace. Ready with the gospel of peace, this is where really even though I kind of made it all about us, it's about going out ready to help other people make their peace with God by hearing the gospel, that Jesus died for them, loves them, he rose from the grave, he's there for them, he's knocking on the door of their heart, and he wants to have a relationship. And you know what's wild about this? Is when we have a readiness to go out and preach the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with others, and we know they need to make their peace with God. That's the solution. We actually can put up with a lot of other things going on. You know what? The solution to this, that, and that that they're doing is they need to make their peace with God, and God will help them with it.
it really is so helpful in our relationships. For someone, the readiness of the gospel of peace, for those of us who know the Lord, well, maybe they don't need to receive the Lord and get saved, but we can just go, the solution is they just need to get closer to the Lord, and he'll deal with the things that are hurting them, hurting us, hurting everyone else. Uh, I thought about, I had a situation in a neighborhood recently and with a neighbor down the street. It was a weird, I won't even get into it, but basically, as I was preparing for this, I was like, wow, Lord, you know what? What do you expect? He's, he needs to make peace with you. And I changed my whole focus on what was frustrating to, you know, he just needs to get saved. And I'm not saying you don't ever hold someone accountable or deal with issues before they get saved. But if we don't have the readiness of the gospel of peace, and that is in our focus, which is what Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples, we get ripped off. Our peace gets robbed. Our joy gets robbed. And in this world, you ain't. We ain't going to get away from it. It'll never end. There's always going to be something. Okay, so going on. We got, uh, that was actually one of the longer ones. Uh, It says this, uh, above all, taking the shield of faith with which we'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. My go-to verse for this is, and I think every Christian should learn it. I even shared it with the youth. Okay, 1 John 1, 9. You got to learn 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't ever need cleansing and never need forgiveness, you don't need this verse. We all need it. My go-to verse when I'm putting the armor, uh, the shield of faith is, Lord, it's not about me being Mr. Faithful, although that's important. It's about you being faithful. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, he is faithful and just. What's cool is as we go through uh, teachings in the church, as I read through the Bible, I'll get new verses. Like, maybe I'm going to switch and start thinking about this one when I put on the armor. Uh, as we finished up, um, uh, is it in there? Oh, here it is. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, when Chris finished up last week, and I, I listened to it on because I wasn't in here. I listened to it on tape. It says this, 3-3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you from the evil one. So I was like, okay, that's going to be one of my new go-to verses for taking up the shield of faith. The Lord is faithful. Thank you, Lord. You are faithful. You are faithful. Putting on the armor is about getting our eyes on Jesus. And then when we look at ourselves and we're clothing ourselves, it's about what he gives to us. And then it's about how we can live it and how we can reach out to others. And so it says this. Uh, usually when, I, when I'm praying that one, I'll say, uh, I'll, um, I'll go to this one all the time in 1 Corinthians 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. We did that with the youth last week. It's, in, it's on a big board in the youth room right now. Big, giant chalkboard. Teresa wrote out the verse. It was like, you guys, you need to learn two verses. Really important. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And God is faithful again. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, 
but with the temptation who will provide the way of escape. Come on, you know what you got to do? You want to grow up? You want to mature in the Lord? You want to, I was telling you, you want to be cool? Like have a quality like that's cool? Are you someone who knows how to take the way of escape? Do you see windows to get out of a situation and you take it? And you know, I said most of the time, half the time, it's interruptions, phone calls, people. It can be a hundred things, but God's going, there it was. I, I interrupted you, you know? You can, you, can, you can get back on the right path. And so the emphasis there, though, is God is faithful. And it says this. This is a, um, a cool verse right before that. I don't know if those one written down. It says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let the person who thinks they stand take heed, be careful, slow down, lest you fall and bite the dust. And most of the time, people fall in their, where they're strong because they let their guard down. And they think, okay, I got this one covered. I'm really strong in this area. And bam, they bite the dust. Or sometimes they fall in a weak area because they won't go and get the help they need to get stronger in that area with the Lord, with people, whatever it may be. You know, uh, but it's, but you know, we've been going through these cautions, like be careful of doing this. That's let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so it says this. It says, uh, it says, it says, uh, there's a story of Peter, okay? Who well, actually was the disciples. And they were out in a boat with Jesus, and Jesus was actually sleeping in the boat. It literally says on a pillow. And a storm came up, and Jesus was still sleeping, and they all freaked out, and they actually came to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And Jesus actually got up, and he spoke to the storm, and he said, peace be still. And then afterward, he said, how come you didn't have faith? How come you didn't have faith? And so as far as taking up the shield of faith in Jesus who's faithful, when things start getting crazy, we, we have to, um, we need to ask the Lord to help us have faith. And you, this is kind of strange, but that's my go-to verse for waking up in the middle of the night now. It's really, it's really weird. It's like, I'm like, Okay, Jesus, you're asleep in the boat. The storm's raging. You can get up at any time and say, peace be still. So if you can sleep, I can sleep. I'm going to rest in you, and whatever's I'm going to face tomorrow, whatever's going on in my life, especially if it's kind of crazy storm, you know. And in your time and in your way, you'll get up and say, peace be still. And it really helps me. I'm just like, I'm... I'm I'm putting my head on the pillow next to you. So we, uh, we're going to rip through a few of these a little bit faster. Another cool one is where the father needs healing for his child, and he's talking with Jesus, and then Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe I can heal? And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So for us, we don't want to stay in unbelief. We just want to say, Lord, I admit I have unbelief. I'm struggling with my faith. Help my unbelief. 
and he's so gracious to do that. Uh, this is a little more globally pertinent and headed our way. It says this, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's a persecuted church right now, and you know what? They're being faithful to death, and that's something God would want us to do. What we can do, which is daily Christian living, is we're just saying, Lord, just help me to be faithful to die to myself occasionally. If anyone desires to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. A lot of the life and relationship with Jesus is dying to ourself and knowing God's going to take care of us. And relationships is that way. You know, we, we have to die to ourselves. And that doesn't mean you don't ever present what you would like and what would make it a great day or whatever for you. That's, that's, that's where people can get in agreement and love one another. Um, so anyways, taking the shield of faith by which you may quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The fiery darts of the wicked one are the doubts, the lies, the confusion, on and on and on. It's basic, uh, basically something where we need to just admit those things and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right now, I'm struggling. Uh, and take the helmet of salvation I love the Christmas verse. This is my go-to for putting on the helmet of salvation. It says this, and he will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's kind of my go-to one, like, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. You save people from their sins. Be my Savior. Nor is there salvation in any other name uh, among men by which we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Just kind of a humbling thing like, Lord, well, I got sin, but you came to save sinners. Paul said he was the chief sinner. So I'm not even the chief sinner. And you can save him. And it says this, for with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. There's this whole thing where you're just going, thank you, Lord, that I'm confessing as you as Lord and Savior. I'm, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm calling out to you. Save me. Thank you for that salvation. A caution for us when we get saved. Uh, the children of Israel did it. In Psalms it says this. They forgot their Savior who had done great things for them in Egypt. They forgot their Savior. None of us are beyond forgetting God. Lord, I don't want to forget you. You're my savior. I need you. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And when it says put on, uh, this is Romans, put on the hope of salvation. In the Bible, hope is a certain thing. It's not like a maybe. It's like I'm putting on the hope of salvation. I know. Hopeful? Like what, 90%? No, 100%. I'm hopeful I have salvation because Jesus died on the cross. He's alive. He rose from the dead. I thank you for your salvation. I shared this last time, but this is a, I'm talking a little fast, so forgive me to close it up. This is really a go-to. It says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. As I put on the helmet of salvation, you saved me from the punishment and the penalty of my sin, which is death. And the Bible says the death of fear is the second death. 
death meaning separation, first death separated from the body, second death separated from God for eternity. You don't want it. Thank you. You saved me from death. Another blessing of the helmet of salvation is he saves us from the power of sin. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Thank you, Lord. All my life where sin has dominion over, even now where you struggle with addictions or problems, we have a hope. It's not, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. God is setting me free. I'm under grace. And also saved eventually from the presence of sin. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look to a new heavens and a new earth, filled with God's righteousness, and then in Psalms it says, in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The idea is, thank you for this helmet of salvation. I am saved from the penalty of sin. I'm saved from the power of sin and the things I'm going to struggle today with where I need your strength. I'm saved from the presence of sin. One day I'm just passing through this earth. I'm going to be in paradise one day with you. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. It It's a traveler's mentality. And you know what you get? The joy of your salvation. We need the joy of our salvation. We get that when we put on the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. (laughs) In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus is our sword. He is the one uh, who, Lord, I need you. And it says, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. How that works. He's the word of God, full of grace and truth. In uh, Hebrews it says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword of the spirit, the word of God is actually sharper than any two-edged sword on earth. And it goes on and says, but it divides between uh, spirit and soul. And between the heart and the thoughts and the tense of the heart, we're like, Lord, I need that. Get me right. We are closing this up. It says, uh, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, taking up the sword of the spirit and saying, Lord, I need your word. Perfect example of not taking up the sword was Adam and Eve. Satan appeared. Doesn't say there's a sword fight, but Satan's speaking. And he said, has God really said? He's got his sword out, speaking Lies, not truth. Error, not truth. And she ended up disobeying God because she didn't take up the sword of the Spirit and say, yes, he really has said, I'm not going to do that. It will produce death. You can go on and on and on. She, she just took the bait didn't, and bit the dust. Jesus is our example where he took out the sword of the Spirit when Satan attempted him. He was 40 days hungry and said, okay, you're hungry. You're God. You could turn these breads to stone. The devil always uses scripture out of context, the Bible out of context. And you know what Jesus said? It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He shows us how to use the sword of the spirit. It's where we go to God's word, we rest in it, we hold on to it, and uh, and we're blessed by it. And a caution for uh, that is this. It says this, Proverbs, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Our words, especially if we're telling lies about other people, it says it's like 
using a sharp sword on them. And these days, it is literally rip people up one side and down the other, backstab them, you name it. God, help us with our mouths. The one, I hadn't read that one really before. I'd passed over it. The one that's always in my mind when I'm praying is, there's one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Lord, help me not to speak like the piercings of a sword today, like, you know, win the argument and destroy the person, hurt their feelings, whatever. Lord, I don't want to speak like the piercings of the sword in a negative way. Uh, Peter, literally, when he was trying to protect Jesus, he pulled out a real sword and cut off the ear of one of the, uh, one of the um, people who were taking Jesus away. And Jesus, you know what Jesus said? Put away your sword. For me, recently I've been praying, Lord, not only do you take up your sword, help me to put away my sword. Oh my gosh, help me, Lord, to put away my sword. And uh, this communication, we can all grow in it. We all, God's gracious. We can be gracious with one another. Uh, sometimes we could actually say to someone, if we really love them, like, well, you just cut my ear off. You think you could, we could take a break here and let me, uh, let me heal up a little bit? You know, we've got to show some grace toward each other because we're not perfect. But as we close this out, it says in Ephesians, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. But speaking the truth in love... May we grow up in all things into him, which is the head, Christ. And then it goes on and says, praying with all prayer. So Jesus loves you. He is your full armor. He will help us live it out practically. Things that would actually be dangerous where we're not living out the full armor. He'll help us with those. But I encourage you. Put on the full armor every day and pray it for other people. And it's as simple as like this. Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us here. Pray for this crew here. Help them have your belt of truth. Be in relationship with you, the truth. Help them have your righteousness and not their own. Help them walk in righteousness and be blessed by it. Help everyone here be at peace with you, knowing you're the prince of peace and to walk in your peace. Help everyone here to take up the shield of faith when they're just getting the fiery darts of the wicked one, emotions, mind, thoughts, things from other people attacked. Help them, Lord, everyone here. Help them to have faith and quench the fiery darts of the wicked, to know you're faithful. The shield of faith is you being faithful to them. They have someone in their corner who is faithful to them no matter what, who will never leave them, forsake them. Help everyone here to have the helmet of salvation on today to know they are saved, they are forgiven. Help everyone here, Lord, to take up your sword of the Spirit, to have your word on their mind, in their hearts, in their mouths, and put away, help us put away our swords. And help everyone to pray today, in all ways, for all the saints, at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll call that the closing prayer.